Jake Knapp is the inventor of the design sprint and the New York Times bestselling author of the book Sprint. He's also the co-founder of Character, a venture fund for early stage startups. How and why did you start using Miro? I came from this position of thinking, I don't want to be doing stuff online to thinking now when I do a sprint in person with a company, it's like, we're going to use Miro, even though we're all in the same room, because that's a better way for us to get this work done. As an investor, we're basically investing in their ability to solve problems. We're saying, we think this group of people is going to be able to solve a problem in a really great way and create value by doing it. And actually, you need to give people the tools that can help them make decisions, help them collaborate, help them visualize and see things in a different way. And Miro does all those things. So to me, at least as an investor, I'm thinking, give the team the tools that are going to help them think, that are going to make the most brighten their, their skills as smart folks. And Miro is at the top of that list. This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by This Is Not Church podcast and the letter F. And you. <laughs> if you've made it this far, my name is Nat Turney, my brother John Turney, and I co-host This Is Not Church, the podcast. And this is sadly the level of discourse that you can expect to find if you tune in every Monday when we drop new episodes. But all joking aside, John and I see this as, a, as an opportunity for us to address issues that we don't think are addressed nearly enough inside of evangelicalism. So LGBTQIA plus issues. BIPOC issues, social justice issues. We like to talk to a broad variety and range of people and really try to find places of commonality for everybody. So check out the podcast. Every Monday, our episodes drop. Wherever you stream podcasts, you can find us. Remember, this is not church. And to that, John says, Peace. Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Hello, friends. Hi. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. On this episode, I have Joshua Sharif and Sarah Lou Tierney, or Tierney. My apologies, Sarah, if you're listening to this. Uh, They wrote the book, The Stranger at Our Shore, How Immigrants and Refugees Strengthen the Church. This is a fascinating conversation, and I'm not going to spoil too much. I'm just not going to do it. I will just tell you this. Uh, Josh's story is really unique for our context. He grew up in Egypt. Uh, He grew up uh, as a Muslim. He ended up converting stateside. And there's more to that story that I'll let him tell. But this is a very powerful conversation that I think unpacks a lot about immigration and uh, and, and just how how Christians in America have an obligation to rethink how they treat uh, this topic. So, it's a powerful conversation. It just is. I think it will give you some tension to hold. I think it will give you things to think about that maybe don't fit into this binary that we exist in of Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative. So I'm going to let the conversation speak for itself, but this is a great episode. The book is available everywhere. Uh, everywhere. Again, it's called The Stranger at Our Shore, How Immigrants and Refugees Strengthen the Church is Available. Now you can get it wherever books are sold. That being said, I do want to say, And I know I say the same intro every time. I know I say the same thing, but 
I really mean this. I, I'm just so unbelievably grateful that you listen to the show. Um, I'm grateful that 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 guests that hopefully help you will come on the show. I'm just grateful, honestly. Um, and thank you for making this work possible. If you like the show, if you can give us a rating and a review on Spotify or, or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, that would help us immensely. But more importantly, it helps people discover the interviews that we have, which help them realize that there are better paths forward out of the, uh, uh, there are better paths forward in the Christian tradition that are out of the basement of fundamentalism. And so your rating and review, just tell Spotify or Apple, hey, this podcast is great, kind of push it out. So if you can do that, it takes 30 seconds, you can do it right now. Of course, as long as you're not driving, that would be so helpful. And lastly, I will say we are a nonprofit organization and we do a lot of things. The podcast is just one avenue that we have. We do a ton of content on Instagram, a ton of content on TikTok. We have a private Facebook community. We have a, a, a private community map where you can log in and see who's in your area and message them. All this work is made possible and completely made to be paywall free, meaning no one has to pay anything per month to get access to everything we offer. Um, it's made possible because of people like you who hold space for people via monthly or a one-time donation. So if you want to give financially, you can click on the link in our show notes. It is a tax-deductible gift um, if you're in the States because we are a nonprofit. And listen, let me just say, I know that some of this language might trigger that like mega church or your evangelical church um, you know, alarm bells because of, of how tithing was communicated to you. You're not giving to God by giving to us. There's no obligation to give any amount monthly. That That's why we do things paywall-free. This is only an ask if you are willing and financially able to give to help hold space for so many other people. So if that's what you want to do, again, link is in our show notes. So you can click on it. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my interview with Josh and Sarah. I hope you enjoy it. Talk to you all next time. All right. Well, finally, um, it's been a long time, friends. We've we've been trying to make this podcast happen. I don't I don't even want to guess how long. Maybe a few months now. And I'm I'm really happy to finally have the conversation. So I have Sarah and Joshua here. Um, Joshua, you wrote. Well, let me ask you this: Is it Josh or Joshua? Do you have a preference? Just so I know. As we- uh, both are fine. But go ahead with Josh. I'll go with Josh. I think it's a little more casual. People call me Timothy. I'm like, I appreciate it, but Tim is fine. Um, You wrote a book, The Stranger at Our Shore uh, with Sarah, How Immigrants and Refugees Strengthen the Church. And this is going to be, I think, a very important and needed conversation to have with our community about really a topic that for better or for worse, I would argue for worse, is really polarized in our country and I, uh, in America. And I think it's important to have a conversation. But, but, but before we do that, I want to have some introductions here. Sarah, let's start with you. Give us some of your background. Did you grow up in church culture, evangelicalism? And then what do you do now for a living? Yeah, I did definitely grow up in evangelicalism. Um, I was raised on the mission field in eastern Congo, and then we moved back to the States um, when I was like in grade school. Um, and I grew up in, I mean, after that, grew up in the Midwest and met my husband, settled here. And I am, I've been a licensed therapist for about 15 years and met Josh in college. And that's how I got to know him and our families are good friends. So yeah, that's me. And are, would you say that you're currently somewhere in the Christian tradition or have you kind of exited that world as a whole for you personally? 
Yeah, um, I would say it's a little complicated, but I think that I would still call myself a Christian, and I would um, definitely I'm I'm involved with a local church for sure. Um, that's something, and even my my private practice is um, done out of a church space. So hmm. yeah, I I think that um, yeah, Christian I would say fits me. Fair enough. I, I understand the uh, it's complicated caveat. <laughs> I think a lot of us feel that. Like, yeah. I think I am, but I have a lot of questions. So fair enough. Josh, give us some of your backstory. I mean, how did you grow up? Did you grow up in like a Christian space? And then what do you do for a living? Sure. Yeah. So I was born in Egypt. And uh, so I grew up in a Muslim family first and um, came to Christ through really a relationship with my uh, grandmother when we moved to the States, living with her. So I would say for me, um, I, I think I my my path to faith was more being discipled as an individual and less through a congregation at first. Um, so, um, you know, it, I think it took me a while to, to be connected into church, but the church, I would say, um, changed my life. Um, and, um, and, uh, just, to, just to reverse back, I work at a, a bank now. I have been pastoring and church planting for the past 15 years, but uh, yeah, I work at a, a, a bank and, um, I would say I would characterize my relationship with the church and what I call myself definitely Christian, um, and strong relationship with the local church. What I've had to, I think, redefine as, um, as many of us have in this last season is, is my relationship to accountability, church administration, and how the church works, or I should say people in the church have worked, yeah. which I don't think is, you know, anything unique or new, um, but, but something that I'm, you know, working through. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I, I have to ask because someone with your background isn't someone that I encounter super often, right? I mean, I've only heard about stories like yours through the grapevine or through, you know, a book that is usually through a very heavy evangelical Christian lens. What was that that process for you, you know, going from being raised and growing up in, in, in an environment that was Muslim to then converting to Christianity? That I've heard that could be challenging for some people in those spaces. What was that like for you doing that? And and what kind of led to that conversion? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it is challenging. I would say it, the challenge doesn't leave because I think the biggest shift, uh, rather than culture and, you know, religious practices, yeah. things like the view of God. Um, and so just because I have this relationship with Jesus and, and Jesus is, is, is who I follow and he's my savior. Sometimes your perception of the God you kind of grew up with creeps in much like how people you know, who have different relationships with their parents or whatever that, and how they're raised in their faith might, might skew their, their relationship with God. And so I think that was, um, many years in the making to, to understand who my father in heaven was. But, but I think right away for me, you know, I grew up with a real sense of, of God and wanting to serve God. Now that was when I was Muslim. And so I wanted to be an imam. That was kind of my aspiration. I'm going to, pursue that moved to america lived with my grandmother who immigrated to america because she was the first christian in our family and 
faced persecution in Egypt and, and basically had to get out. I didn't quite know or understand that at the time because it had been many years. Um, she did that way before I was born. And living with them, with my uh, grandmother and my, my step-grandfather, really was um, God's grace to me. I wasn't very graceful. I'd kind of walk by their uh, office every day. They would read scripture out loud with each other. And that was clearly just for my benefit. Um, and I would kind of hurl insults at them. And, you know, God doesn't hear you, that kind of thing. And so I can't give you like a specific date, but I can say like I went from walking by angry to lingering at the door to being in the room to reading the Bible to having a true encounter with with Jesus where I felt like this God I've been pursuing has been pursuing me and his character so much different than I than I thought. Um, so that that changed my life and kind of set me on a, on a course. Um, that along, I think, with the difficulty of, of um, conversion really causing our family to live on the run, even in America for about a decade. Um, really? I know that's a lot to throw at throw the whole story thrown at you, but um, yeah, so that, that's kind of what shaped my walk and my relationship with the church. Well, can we unpack that for a minute? Is, is that okay, sure. Josh? If we, cause I, you know, I, again, I'm just picturing not only myself as hearing you say this, but the audience like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait a second. I want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly because and I, I, I want to be honest and transparent, right? The circles we come from, every white evangelical thinks that they're being persecuted, right? So like this term sure. persecution in our context, sometimes I have to like remind myself that there is legitimate persecution of Christians happening, right? Even if Sean Foyt is pretending that he's persecuted as he goes to the Super Bowl for free, uh, different sure. kinds of things, right? So so I say that because as what I heard you say is that when you converted, we can say to Christianity, you know, that conversion, even in the States, caused you to be on the run. Um, is that from who? From your 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 immediate family? Like what what does that mean for you? For, yeah, what was yeah. the story there? No, thanks for asking. Yeah, my immediate family. Basically, uh, we were young enough where my mother was caught in a place where uh, her life was in danger. She had wow. come to Christ, then I had come to Christ, and then my sister had come to Christ. And I think from my immediate family's perspective, it was, you know, a shame to the family. It was, you know, a mother corrupting children. Um, and so their, their goal was to get us back to Egypt and to deal with my mother. And so there's some death threats from my mother, things like that. And, and so we had to basically live on the run and live anonymously. Wow. And we were really at the, at the mercy of, of churches who, who, who took us in um, across the United States um, as we learned the language. I mean, there, were, there's, there was so much um, there. And, and so I think I'd characterize a lot of my early years as, you know, picturing myself even now, like, you know, nine years old, 10 years old, um, you know, waiting at night, hearing noises outside, thinking like, is this going to be the night that like, you know, we get kidnapped that my, you know, something happens to my mother. Wow. Um, and so that was a clear and early cost of our walking into a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And, um, but, but, but I will say, as I say that, I think for me, and I think for the, for my, my sister and, and my mother, it was very much like that treasure in the field. Like what we found 
we didn't cons- like the cost. W- there wasn't those moments of like, did we really make a mistake with this Jesus thing? Like, Jesus is clearly the treasure in the field, and we're like, take it all. Um, we we found the treasure. So um, so there's gratitude, I think, even as I talk about that those kind of years and and the cost um, to follow Jesus. You know, I really appreciate you sharing this that story with us, and I I think it is um, for many people out in our in our community. So many of us have experienced legitimate abuse and trauma at the hands of uh, specifically evangelical churches. And you know, if you've seen our content, we call that to account. Like, there's problems that we have to fix. And I think though that your story is a reminder that it's complicated, you know, and that and that it can be easy to paint every single thing in the worst possible light. But also then we have stories like yours that we just have to reconcile and deal with and say, yeah, like this is also a thing that maybe this church network did really well, right? Like I caring for people for these kids at the time who were legitimately on the run uh, for fear of really their own safety and possibly even lives. And I think that's an important thing to wrestle with that I have to, I have to wrestle with as someone who does a lot of work in, in these spaces, who wants to advocate for accountability, um, you know, that like the world is very complicated. And so I appreciate you sharing that story. I'm sure we'll unpack more of that maybe as we go along. Sarah, I'm sorry to, to, to not address you, you know, in the past couple of minutes, but I just had to kind of follow that thread for a little bit. Um, so, so you both wrote a book, I, I guess co-wrote it together, The Stranger at Our Shore, How Immigrants and Refugees Strengthen the Church. Why, why this book? Why this topic? Wh- what was the motivation that where you both said, hey, as friends, we have a common interest here that that we're so passionate about. We have to write a book on it because that's that's so small feat. Writing a book takes a lot of time, a lot of prep. So, what was the motivation behind it, Sarah? Do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, at the time, I think it was around 2016, but in my context, you know, it was very white, rural, midwestern, conservative area. Um, Josh came down to a church to teach and give his story. Um, and my husband and I went to that just to see him because we wanted to reconnect with him. Um, and I just was blown away by his story. His story is truly amazing. And I felt like in my context at the time with church, there were just so many people who were deeply afraid of immigrants and Muslims. But in particular, I think yeah. ISIS was a, a real big deal at that point. Um, so you were hearing about that all the time in the news. Um, and I would just hear, you know, comments. I don't need to repeat them, but um, just, you know, the general the general fear, I think, is was the impression that I got just from my my church, my context at the time. And I just remember thinking, like, if they could just meet Josh, you know, and just hear Josh's story. And I think they would just be less afraid. And so I felt like really um, just very passionate about Josh getting his story out there. Um, And I think that he can really help the church in particular, but anyone really who reads the book, I think it's accessible for anybody. But um, his story and his teaching, I think, are just very insightful, just like what you said at the beginning of the podcast, Tim, like you don't get the chance to talk to somebody like Josh every day. And so I I want everyone to read this book, hear his story, because it is so powerful. And I think it will bring change um, from the people that have read it. 
and have gotten back to me. I've just been so um, hopeful, I guess is the word, because I think, you know, Tim, with the work that you do, like there's probably a lot of discouragement, a lot of frustration, a lot of feeling like no one's listening. <laughs> no, there's not change being made, you know. Yeah. Um, but when I hear somebody who who has shifted their mindset after listening to Josh and says something like, you know, this has really changed everything about how I view this topic or how I view immigrants and refugees. Like that's really powerful. And I think that's the power of somebody like Josh telling his story. So it took us five years to write it and it was a lot of work. And definitely if we weren't great friends, it would not have happened. I don't think, (laughs) but um, it's out here and I'm just so proud of it. So thank you for having us on, by the way. <laughs> I yeah, really appreciate of course. that. Well, you know, we are, as an organization, we're, we're very focused on storytelling. You know, we, we say it all the time. We, we try and hold space for people to tell their stories because I, I believe that story is what changes people, not so much data, especially in this current like climate, you know, everyone has these these data points that that, that, that they want to hit, whether they're true or false isn't the point. Uh, and I have found that when you meet someone in the space that you think you understand and therefore don't like, it changes how you view that space. And I think on the topic of immigration in particular, you know, I, I remember when I was like 11 when 9-11 happened and I grew up in a very conservative household full of talk radio. I mean, I grew up on talk radio, a steady diet of it. My dad was in construction. I would be painting walls and it would be Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, you know, Mark Levin. And I, I remember vividly, you know, like like the the continual um, um, broad strokes and and fear mongering that they leveraged during that time to paint this image that that not just a particular sect or a particular group of of people in in Islam, but all Muslims, right, are here to take over America and you know Sharia law. You know all the tropes. It, it's just really dehumanizing, and I think a lot of that played into a lot of my own upbringing about how I saw. People, especially coming from countries that were predominantly Muslim, right? And it took me a lot of time. I'm still working on it, on on realizing that, like any religion, you can find you know people who are doing a lot of good things and people who are doing some bad things, right? But in our cultural climate, I have found that like the the even the word still today, Islam, right? It just invokes this sense of like takeover, uh, fundamentalism, etc. And so I agree. I think that Josh's story is so powerful because it hopefully helps rehumanize the conversation. Was that kind of your motivation, Josh, for writing this book? Like what 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 was the motivation for you to, to really tell your story? And and who was the audience that you had in mind when you were writing this book? Sure. Well I will say it took a lot of convincing. I did not want to write this book. Um <laughs> that's true. I, I felt like <laughs> there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of people saying things. I have a steady diet of reading church books that are like um here's here's the things that the church is doing wrong and that you're doing wrong as a pastor. And I, I just felt like I don't want to contribute to, to any of that. Sure. Um, and so my motivation when, when kind of came around to it and said, okay, this is something I feel called to do. And uh, with, with a lot of uh, prodding and, uh, and persistence from Sarah was to say, you know, we are not going to write a book that, that beats people o- over the head. Or that um, even puffs people up who who feel like they've they've got it right, but something that will be faithful to scripture and um, help move people the right way. 
we also didn't want to give people a to-do list. I don't have any more time for more <laughs> things to do. You should be doing this with your week. Right. So we really focused on the stories, um, not just my story, but stories of, uh, of this kind of work in action, but real specifically on people's hearts, dealing with some of those things like fear and that kind of indignation and, um, and, and all of those things, because w- we believe that if we can reach people's hearts, then their actions and their perspectives and things like that were going to change. Um, so yeah, my target audience, I think was, um, you know, I think people who, who were struggling with this topic and, and struggling multiple ways, not just fearful, you know, from some of the things that that you mentioned, you know, growing up with talk radio and all of that, but also just struggling to figure out what their role could be, what difference they could make. Um, and, and even maybe people who are engaged in this work and wondering how, how can they make an impact with those around their family, their, um, their church. And so we built it a, as a tool for even those who feel like, Hey, I really agree with what this book is saying and, and teaching. And I need a tool to get this into my church or to get this. I, I want a book that's safe to hand to, to somebody who loves those kind of Rush Limbaugh talk radio things that they're not going to just open up and immediately dismiss. Um, You know, we've seen that the book maybe can be dismissed by the cover, but anyone who's opened it, no matter what the perspective is, I think sees a different heart than, you know, um, polarizing politics, uh, that kind of thing. And, And the amazing thing, the accidental thing, that that happened that we didn't realize is the collaboration in writing this book is part of the model that we're talking about accidentally. And so there were pieces of my story, pieces of teaching that Sarah was like, Josh, you've got to keep pressing into this. And I was like, no, I, d- I don't want to share this anymore or share this part of the story or go deeper in this or people don't need to hear that. Yeah. And, um, those are specifically ended up being the parts that we get the most feedback about because Sarah was really in touch with the context that we were writing to. And I, you know, I was in touch with, with my story and the scriptural analysis of it. Um, and so we were able to bring it together to be something better than either of us could have done uh, by ourselves. Yeah, that's really great. I mean, let's, so my question is, I, I want to get down to some nitty gritty here. I mean, Again, what? Uh, let me ask it this way: What was what was there a personal experience or set of experiences that really gave you a passion for these topics in your own way? So, Sarah, let's start with you. Like, you know, is, is it that for you, you grew up in a certain culture similar to mine, right? And then all of a sudden, you meet Josh, like, oh my gosh, my paradigm has shifted. Um, we have to do something. Like, what was the experience for you as a human that led you to become this passionate about about writing a book about immigrants and refugees? Um, I grew up, my dad was an intercultural studies professor. And so we grew up, I mean, I grew up on the mission field for the first part of my life. But then after that, I've just always been exposed to all kinds of cultures, like people staying at our house, coming over for dinner, international students. Um, so I feel like I've traveled extensively with my dad, with others. And I, 
I just think it's such a it's such a great big world out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, you talk a lot about coming out of the basement of yeah. evangelicalism and exploring other rooms. And so I guess it would be similar to that. Um, I I think that part of my passion is just that opportunity that I've had to really interact with other people who have blessed my life tremendously. Um, who are so different from me. And I feel like that is is just missing in the church. Um, we need Josh Sharifs, you know, we need people to um get us out of that basement, essentially. And to um I think when we listen to their stories like that really just strengthens it helps all of us, right? It helps everybody. So I think that's like a, a big picture kind of answer to your question maybe is just that I feel like it was my privilege to just be raised in that um, and then to be like settled here in the rural white conservative Midwest. It's, um, you know, I, I don't feel like I belong a lot of the time <laughs> because um, I do have a different perspective on things than other people do, but it's only because it's not because I'm a good person and they're a bad person, right? right? It's it's because I have had different experiences and, you know, been exposed to different things and they have not. And so that's why I think the power of Josh's story, um, I have this, you know, and it speaks the language of evangelicalism, which is show me in the Bible. And that's, so that is the language. Really, that's, <laughs> that's what we we did. I mean, the whole book is is packed with teaching from the Bible. So you can give it to somebody who um, maybe is just completely opposite of you in every way. And I think that it just does a wonderful, um, compact job of being persuasive and presenting a lot of information, not just from the Bible, but also um, just allowing somebody to have an experience with an immigrant like Josh, you know, who... There aren't a lot of immigrants in in the area that I and I know the world is definitely becoming more globalized for sure, but um, there definitely are not a lot of Josh Reefs where I live. So that's something that I think is extremely valuable. Josh, I'm just kind of curious, and you know, I don't mean to give you a loaded question. You can just answer honestly. But growing up, so you know, you you come to the states, you you convert to Christianity. Now you're part of like this. I'm assuming evangelical world somewhere in in those spaces. Did you still encounter? Um, you know, times where you still felt kind of othered because of your history or like people didn't like really, they thought that, that, that maybe you weren't who you said you were now because of, of where you came from. Like, did you ever experience things like that in the, in these spaces? Yeah, I would say consistently, constantly, um, feeling like, like another. Um, but I think while the church got so many things wrong, they got some of the essentials right. And for me, yeah, the key, and it wasn't like this every place, but I think the key where where I felt you know loved and and really discipled was the 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 places and the people who invested in me, not as a as a story or a testimony or a, or a project but really brought me in to be part of the family. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I have many stories and I share them in the book about these lifelong friendships and how, um, you know, 
the local church invested in me even sending me to to Christian college and saying, we, we're, we have expectations of you. We see you as a leader. We see you um, as somebody who has something to contribute. And so it was those things that, you know, even with the cultural misses and the, the suspicion and, all, you know, all those little things that you encounter along the way, I was able to, to stick with it because the church, um, especially in times like after 9-11, things like that, was still a safe haven for me compared to the outside world um, I was I was living in, and so for me, it, it's a bit of a mixed bag, and, sure. and, and in many ways continues to be. I think that's why I, I prefer living in a big city like like Chicago, uh, where it feels like you know every, everyone is from somewhere else. Um, yeah, that that I think is you know the pain the pain of going through that mixed with also the joys um are just part of it it's 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 often kind of intermingled <laughs> uh but i think altogether i think the thread that that my family held on to was that you know jesus rescued us and he rescued us brought us to to this place because he has a plan for us and so Often things didn't go right, or we didn't feel understood, or what have you. Um, but I think God always provided people in the church that did see us for who we are, and that did love us, and that did invest in us. Um, and so that—that's what I hope. I, I tell those stories in the book because some of those things are so small and minuscule. The Sunday school teacher who, you know, gave me my first bike when I didn't have a father and, and taught me how to ride it. Like never forget that the, the family who, who brought furniture to our, to our apartment, that's my best friend. And we, I was in his wedding. He's in my wedding. We just, you know, we're lifelong friends because they didn't see me as a project. They saw me as, as people they're accepting to their family. So long answer, but to say like, you know, as we aim for what's good and better, um, right. We also know that there's going to be a mixed bag. There's going to be mistakes, and that 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 grace has to be part of the conversation. Um, and 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 grace had to be extended mul- multiple ways to me and from me um, <laughs> in that relationship with the church. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really fair. Um, and I, you know, I it's it's interesting because obviously in our spaces, a lot of people are frustrated and angry. But sometimes we'll do these like story series on Instagram, and I'll ask a question. And sometimes I'll ask one like, mm-hmm. "What do you miss?" You know, about the evangelical yeah. church. And all of a sudden, these people who you know are always yelling me about how angry they are about or about some mm-hmm. new abusive pastors. Like, I miss this one person in, in at the church who just loved me so well. Or you know, what? I I kind of miss the gathering. I do, and I. Yeah. It reminds me that again, like these things are just really nuanced, and they are a mixed bag. And I think a lot of us can look back at at, at our evangelical time uh, and go, "Yeah, there is that person. There is that Sunday school teacher. I have someone yeah. in my life. I think about as a kid who would always give me a piece of candy. I would always go up to him. He had a butterscotch candy thing. I I would always get one. It. I was like four, you know. But it just like it's an imprint in my head that is just there. I'll never forget that person, right? Uh, despite, yeah. like you said, some of the mixed bags, and some people have have more of the negative than, than the positive. But I just think I think what you're saying is so key 
because I'm just more convinced than ever that like you can become fundamentalists all over again, right? Like, like you can go from one extreme of just like this really heavy duty reformed objective inerrant view to like, that's completely always, there's nothing good. It's this yeah. new way is superior. And then you kind of do it <laughs> repeating the cycle. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, go can, ahead. can I say real quick, Tim, oh, yeah, one of the yes. things we, we talk about in the book is the idea of indignation. And a lot of times as people's hearts change, I've realized that, you know, indignation is like that kind of deep bitterness, anger. Um, and sometimes it, it feels like it's founded from a place that could even be real um, or, or justified. But I think the human heart has such a c- capability of just shifting indignation instead of ridding ourselves of, of that indignation. And so we talk a a bit about how even people who have made the journey from a place of, you know, I, you know, I think this way about Muslims or immigrants or, or refugees, like a negative way to a positive way. One of the things that can happen is we shift our indignation from that people group to then the people group in the church who are still not there. Even though you just, you just got on board a month ago, um, God changed your heart a month ago. (laughs) you begin to not get rid of that indignation, but shift that indignation. And so one of the things is we are really trying to address our, our hearts in this book, our own two hearts too, as authors included, is, is to say there is a path forward where we're not just shifting indignation from one thing to another thing, but saying we believe that the good news of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and the and, and the work of Jesus can actually ri- begin to rid our hearts of, of indignation and, and malice and hatred and all those kind of things that, that, that sometimes doesn't even feel like they've originated in us, but have been done to us and, 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 and pulled out of us um, that almost feel, you know, and do feel justified. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, you know, I don't know if that helps in any way. I think it definitely does. I mean, I think a lot of us also feel um, we wouldn't be as angry as we are if we didn't if we didn't give a shit. You know, if we didn't care, yeah. I wouldn't be doing this work if I didn't care about the church and 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 the potential that it has to do so much good, right? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, when we experience either harm directly or we see people in positions of leadership and power in these spaces harming other people with no accountability. It gets us so fired up because it's like, this is not at all the promise or dare I use the term calling of the church, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I agree with you. And I, I think that we have to be gracious with ourselves and recognize that people are in different spaces, different different parts of the journey. Mm-hmm. And we were there once. I mean, I was there once. You know, I, I didn't move to where I am now because I was screamed at. That's not how it worked for me. It was people sharing their mm-hmm. stories. My friend who was my my roommate who's black one day over coffee, just nonchalantly telling me about, about how often he gets pulled over. That was the beginning for me of like, mm-hmm. really? You know, but it was his story that started shifting my perspective. And that's important. Speaking of which, immigrants and refugees, how they strengthen the church. That's kind of like the subtitle to this whole book, right? Um, talk to me about this. Like, you know, Josh, you are an immigrant and really in a way a refugee, you know, at some point because of what you were trying to escape, you know, when you were in Egypt with, you know, maybe being, um, you know, chased down by family members at the time. Um, how do, in this book, how do you discuss how immigrants and refugees strengthen the church? I'm assuming in America is what we're talking about here, but maybe it's, maybe it's bigger than that. So I would, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, First of all, I want to frame 
the the perspective as I talk about this. I think so often it's easy to throw a bunch of scripture verses about like, you know, seeing ourselves in these people's shoes and treating them nicer. And that's, that's something that is good. But really, I, I you know, I think about like um, David's dedication um, of, of the temple and just, you know, in first Chronicles 29, he, he says, we're, we are foreigners and strangers in your sight. He says that to God. This is God's people. And then you you see that theme all through scripture, even at Hebrews 11, kind of after that that hall of faith, if, if you don't mind me reading that verse, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And so I think the idea is to bridge that gap between who we are in in Christ and in the church, between those who th- those who are receiving truly immigrants and refugees foreigners and strangers and seeing themselves in the same way entering the kingdom of god in that way so we're not as an immigrant as a refugee as an asylee you're not coming in and you know just to the grace of the, your gracious hosts that are you know they have everything and you have nothing so of course they're going to share with you but getting those who have grown up here to see we are the same in God's eyes as these people, even God's people through scriptures, calling themselves foreigners and strangers, not just in the land that they're living in, but David says, in your sight, God, we're foreigners and strangers. Christ died for us while we were still his enemies. And so it's bridging that gap to say, like, there's not much difference between us. And where there is difference, it actually shows the beauty and and complexity of God. It actually grows us deeper and stronger. It actually brings um, perspective and a, and the kind of accountability that that we're so sorely missing happens when everyone sees everything from one perspective. No one considers a different perspective, and people are are blind to what's really happening underneath. Um, and I think having different cultures, different values, different perspectives, um, brings some of those things to light and shows us a fuller picture of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to lead? What does it mean to serve? What does it mean to disciple? Um, and so I think if we don't see our brother and sister who's coming into this country as, as people who, who have something to contribute, we're really missing out. And, and that's kind of the point of, of this. Um, does it frustrate, and either of you can answer this, does it frustrate you to see, at least from my vantage point, immigrants and immigration used as really just like talking points in a political war in America of, you know, I hear a lot of one side, more the conservative Republican side of like, we have to secure the border and like th- these flood of illegal immigrants are just, you know, they're, they're going to take over America. I mean, that is stuff that like Tucker Carlson has, has said before. And it's, it's, I think very dangerous, but at the same time, I don't necessarily know if Democrats in general, maybe in lip service sound a lot better, but I haven't seen a, a massive shift in their policies. And even recently, Joe Biden made some comments about uh, you know, oh, well, if you're um, uh, seeking asylum, just call on your cell phone, you know, uh, and, and, and we'll see what we can do kind of thing. He, he got a lot of flack mm-hmm. for that. D- does it frustrate you, and I'm sure for different reasons, to see 
people, people made in the Imago Dei, who you just said, Josh, are equally human to people who live inside of these four walls of the U.S., so to speak. Does it frustrate you to see them used as as really less than human, as just you know talking points to score political, you know, equity with with their bases? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit it on the head. I don't really see, um, I don't see the forward progress that we need politically on this. Just, just, just not even speaking to, you know, one political party or another. It feels like this this debate is a bargaining chip. Yeah, and um, comprehensive um, fixes and things like that come as part of trades to large other political items and um and in some sense the stalemate gives political parties a continued um talking point because if things change then you have to change what you're talking about right and so um yeah it is it is very frustrating you know one of the things that that i will say it when when people kind of dive into the political conversation as we're talking about this, this subject because I think people who are maybe engaging this topic for the first time or, or, or seriously considering changing some of their perspectives on it want to talk about issues at the border and things like that. Right. And the thing that, that I always want to start with is who around you, who is your neighbor, who's in your city that is already here, and what is your responsibility to them as a follower of Christ? Right, and so I, w- I want to keep that tension of the both end because I think there's there's plenty of people down the block and around the corner that that hey if if you don't want to engage that political debate or even if you have a strong opinion about the border, what's your responsibility to the people already here? Oh. What about young boys l- like me who didn't make a choice to come to this country just just want want to be able to sleep through the night not feeling you know, like their life is in danger, want to open up their refrigerator and feel like we have food. Um, is it, is it too bad for, for, for children like, like me? I think, I think most Christians would, would not say that. Um, and so that's where I try to frame the, 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 the talk first is start with your neighbor, get exposed to, to those in your community. And, and, you know, I see hearts begin to, to shift and change. And I think that kind of heart and shift and change in the American church, I think will spill politically. But, but I have to remind myself as I, as I engage this, you know, my hope is in Jesus. And this feels like a daunting thing that, that we're trying to change, you know, like, what am I going to write a book and, and, and the political landscape of America is, is going to change. I laugh at myself sometimes, but I feel yeah. like, but I, but I have to continue in the fight and be faithful to, to, to the story God has called me through and the call that he, that he has on my life. Yeah. Sarah, I'm kind of curious for you, um, if, if you've noticed this tension maybe in your own life, but you know, my dad is someone who, like I said, very conservative talk radio at the same time as a human, I've watched him do what Josh is talking about. You know, I mean, I would watch him learn Spanish just so he can talk to the cleaners on the job site. Uh, and he was super kind and cordial to them. You know, like he enjoyed talking to them. Meanwhile, there's Sean Hannity talking about how we have to secure the border and how people like them are ruining the country. I'm just like, I I don't understand because there's like this, there's like, I feel like, and again, Sarah, I would love your response to this. I feel like 
there is this church culture, broadly speaking, there's always exceptions, that really is part is in lockstep with like these Tucker Carlson type of, of views that I would argue are xenophobic. But at the same time, I have witnessed people in my life who would maybe even say Tucker's right, treat people in their own community with love, respect, generosity. And there are moments where I go, I don't know how to reconcile what the hell I'm looking at between these two different things happening. Have you experienced that, Sarah, as well? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) I have many thoughts that are kind of going (laughs) through my head. Um, Definitely have experienced the same thing. I think it's possible just as human beings to have all kinds of those idiosyncrasies like (laughs) where, you know, what we do and what we say we believe just don't match up and we don't think about it really, you know. Um, So just actually pausing to think about these topics and really, um, you know, not just being spoon fed this ideology, the political ideology, but actually like stepping through some of the difficulties and um, like our book, we don't really address a specific political stance, right? Because what Josh is, our focus was really like Josh's story and getting that out there and um, really getting the teaching out there as well um, and having people just look a little bit deeper at their hearts. Because I think it's not that it's not a far jump from, you know, meeting an immigrant and knowing someone like Josh to thinking through, okay, but this doesn't match up. This doesn't line up with what I believe politically. So, yes, like there is that tension there for people. But I just think they don't often think it through. Like it's just not something that they're pausing in their life to like, okay, I need to make sure that my actions and my beliefs actually match up. Like all of us have actions and beliefs that really don't match. So I don't know um, as far as like what is the remedy for that, (laughs) you know, Um, because I do see that a lot. And I wonder if that's just cultural, like people when, you know, when you when we're talking about political ideology, like we know that when people debate things politically, that oftentimes that doesn't change anybody's mind, that it just entrenches people deeper and deeper in their political view. So I don't know if it's that um, kind of thing at work there, but I think actually meeting people and having relationship relationships with people does change our view or it can over time. I don't feel like I have a great answer though, you know, as far as like, how do you move forward, you know, through something like that? Josh, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a background foreground thing. If you think of a picture kind of like person in focus background is blurry, um, that bokeh effect. I've been at tables with people where they'll, they'll talk about, you know, how dangerous, um, Middle Eastern immigration is or something like that. And then stop and look at me and say, but you're different. You, or, Mm, or, 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 you know, like, and what that, what they're saying is I have a relationship with you and I cannot fault you for anything. And I can't put you in this larger category, but I believe there's this blurry background that is dangerous, but you're not. And so you must be an exception. Yeah. And so, and I think on the opposite side where there's the divide, people see the background and say, no, look, generally, if you focus on the background, 
these people aren't dangerous. They don't see that there is some danger. Let's not let's not lie. There is some danger to immigration. There always is and always has been. Right. Um, um, but I would I would say that there there is more danger. And we talk about, you know, me coming in as a young man, I could have been radicalized if I found no place in America. I would have believed all those videos that ISIS put out, like, you have no place in America. This is not your home. You know, help, you know. But instead, I, I found my home and I found acceptance and I and I do feel American. Um, so that is to say, I think we're experiencing like the disparity between background and foreground. And I think we need to have more than just kind of like the token um, Middle Eastern person we know or perspective or this this one. My hope is that you know, even as we talk about my story being unique or I have a unique perspective is um, it's being maybe uniquely heard, but I believe, and my hope is that there's just going to, that we accept and we see, and we hear many Josh Sharifs. Um, there's nothing special about me or my story. Sure. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm just one who's being heard maybe now. And so, um, yeah, I hope I hope you you guys are following some of that. Or if I'm making oh some no, sense yeah, there. no, no. I you're you're right in the pocket, in my opinion. I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense. And I, again, like I just think it's important um, to have this conversation because whether we like it or not, we are and maybe not YouTube, but at least me and a lot of my community, we're swept up in this political world. I mean, it's a very politicized culture. Everything falls into a certain camp, at least we think it does. And the immigration topic is one of those things where personally I really struggle because I'm more convinced than ever that uh, people in these um, Christian nationalist spaces are incredibly xenophobic and drawing on things from David Duke and and in th- in the white replacement theory. I mean, you know, things that are really scary that we've had in our in our country's history for a long time. Um, uh, at the same time, I don't see a lot of progress being made whenever these Democrats are in office, uh, even when they have majority control. And that people could be screaming, no, Tim, you don't understand politics. It's complicated. I get that. But either way, regardless of what it is, the, the result is I'm not seeing the big change. And, you know, what I'm what I struggle with, and maybe this will be a good last question for us to kind of, you know, ground this somewhere is what I struggle with personally is that in the spaces I exist in, in this evangelical culture in general, again, always exceptions, but broadly speaking, I am pretty convinced now that a lot of their worldview politically is fed to them through people in these far-right spaces, these pundits, the Charlie Kirks of the world, the Ali Stuckies, you know, the Sean Hannity's. And, and it, it, it shapes how they view immigration. In my opinion, it supersedes what I would dare to say, and our audience might get triggered by this, but what I would say is a pretty clear biblical ethic of how we are called as Christians to treat the immigrant among us. I mean, there's a lot of themes in the Bible about this, and I know that we can debate prescriptive versus descriptive, but either way, it's there. And I think my question is, how do you both kind of get around this hyper-politicized, well, they're stealing jobs. Uh, you know, we need secure borders, which really comes from the pol- their political ideology 
which actually supersedes their worldview of the Bible, even though they will then say, no, no, I'm a biblical Christian. I just, I stand on the word of God. God's, God's word's objectively true and inerrant. It, it, it's clear, mm-hmm. you know? How do you recommend or how do you in the book talk about having this conversation with people who, like you said earlier, Sarah, don't realize that while they might think they're standing on God's objective truth, they're kind of punting on this topic and 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 taking Tucker Carlson's words as the inerrant word of God over what scripture would actually teach. You have one minute. Good luck. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Josh, I really like what you said about background and foreground. Yeah. Um, because Tim, I think you experienced that when you were talking about how your black friend get gets pulled over more. Um, you you don't tend. I mean, when you are looking through a political lens, you do tend to generalize, right? And I think that um, when the people that I know who are very conservative, who are listening to all of those those people on the radio that you mentioned um, or on TV, and I. They're they're thinking of this as like um, a threat and as a, a group of people that they really have no connection with. Yeah. But when when they meet someone, you know, Josh, exactly like what you said, it's like, oh, I believe this generally about people politically, but not you. You're the right. exception. Right. But then from that point, hopefully with some time and and thinking about it, you can connect the dots. Like maybe this group of scary immigrants or whoever it might be that they're talking about, um, maybe they're actually just people just like my friend Josh or just like my friend, whoever. Um, Maybe they are just people with stories who just want the same things that I do in life too, you know? And so I, I think it's so important to, you know, with, with this book or um, with any story that gets out there, anybody that you get to just kind of rub shoulders with in your community. Um, like the people, you know, that you mentioned, Tim, I think it was your dad, you said, yeah, I think that those kinds of opportunities can actually change hearts, but then you also have this, um, like this rhetoric, just this constant 24 seven stream of political rhetoric that's coming in as well. So Yes, those are like two opposing forces almost. And it's essentially like if if one is just louder and more often and more frequent, then I mean that's really the one that shapes our brains, right? Yeah. And so I think speaking up, like speaking up and and telling your story or or having a podcast like this, having a conversation, exposing people to a different point of view, um it seems so small, but it is powerful. It's very powerful. And it, who knows like where those ripples will go, you know, who knows how, how many times the podcast gets shared or how many minds get changed or, you know, you just can't measure it. And you hope that, you know, I'm going to plant this seed and hopefully it'll grow into a tree, but we don't know. (laughs) Right. And it, yeah, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. I think. I agree. I'll try to, to do it real quick, but you know, in my mind, I think, why we pursued going after the heart in the book rather than behaviors or even political perspectives is because I think that is, as scripture says, where everything flows out of. And so we can talk till we're blue in the face, but, but, but I would suggest everyone ask themselves these two questions. 
you know, who, who is my Lord and who, who is my teacher? First um, Corinthians three, Paul's writing and he's dumbfounded. And he, he says, you know, why are you talking about, I follow Paul or I, I follow Paulos. We're just men. And so as a, as a follower of Christ, if your teacher, if your de facto Lord is anyone but Christ, even Paul the apostle, he, he's dumbfounded that they would even say, I follow Paul. Um, and so we take it back to that scriptural basics and say, here's scripture laid out. Um, but I think all of us have to ask those questions all the way down to, you know, you know, a lot of your audience come probably from some of these bigger churches, you know, and as names are getting taken down, that's what happens when we follow anyone but but Jesus. And and I think people help us on on the journey, but but we don't follow Paul, we don't follow Apollos, we don't follow Mark Driscoll. Thank God, any, any Jesus. Of those names, <laughs> yeah, that, that that have that that come. We don't follow Rush Limbaugh or any anyone on the left. Um, and you know, who has the words of of life but Jesus? And so we constantly, I think, have to keep asking ourselves that question: Who is my Who is my Lord? Jesus says, "You call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say." Once we settle in our hearts, who is our Lord and who's our teacher, out of there, um, we'll, we'll, we'll find our actions begin to change, and we live an empowered life by the Holy Spirit who directs us to, to live in the way that, that God has called us. Awesome. Uh, Josh and Sarah, I, I love uh, that you wrote this book, The Stranger at Our Shore, How Immigrants and Refugees Strengthen the Church. I'm assuming it's available everywhere. You can get it on Amazon, uh, wherever books are sold. Uh, I appreciate you both making time. Are, do you have public like accounts or profiles? Can, can people follow you on social media somewhere? I mean, if, if you have that, please plug away. Sure. I mean, just just search, if you want, search my name, Joshua Shreve. You can follow me with the other 20 people who do. And uh, <laughs> no, I'm happy to connect. Yeah, just search my name and you can reach out. Great. Yeah, I'm I'm not that active on social media, but I am on Instagram. So it's Sarah Lou Who, Sarah with an H-L-E-W-W-H-O on Instagram. I do occasional therapy thoughts, but um, yeah, I don't think either of us are real active on <laughs> social media. So. I'll tell you what, it's a grind. Let me tell you. I mean, yeah. when I first started doing this work, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I'm on social media. Now I'm like, oh my God, there's so much to do on social media. So um, awesome. Well, again, thank you both for your time. I wish you both the best and let's keep in touch. I'm sure yeah. at some point we'll talk again in the future. And uh, yeah, here's to a better immigration system and a more loving church that treats immigrants well. Thank you, Tim. Absolutely. As a major research institution, Arizona State University offers the most online bachelor's degree programs, along with world-class faculty and dedicated support. Discover why ASU is ranked number one in innovation for nine consecutive years. Tap to learn more.